0: hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. And we hope you enjoy this message from God's word. Welcome today.
1: This is Palm Sunday. This is the day that kicks off the start of what we call our passion week, our holy week. Pastor Stephen referred to that uh, as he was talking and praying this morning, this holy week. Uh, It's all started on this day. So what we are going to do is we're taking a break from our series on the Ten Commandments, just pushing the pause button on that for a couple of weeks, and we're going to focus in on this holy week, this passion week, starting off today with the idea of Palm Sunday. Sunday. Uh, Next week, we will finish this out with our celebration event where we are celebrating the resurrection on Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday. It's a great week uh, in the church world. It's a great week at Journey Church as well. We have uh, not only Palm Sunday today, but we have a Passover Seder meal that is happening on Wednesday. If you did not get tickets for that, I'm sorry, that one is sold out. Uh, I would highly encourage you at some point uh, in your your time here that you sign up and attend one of those. Those are really, really phenomenal events. Uh, The Passover is a Jewish festival. It's a Jewish feast. And uh, in, in doing the Passover Seder, you see Jesus all through that meal that the Jews are still celebrating to this day. So it's really an amazing thing. On Friday... Uh, as Pastor Stephen mentioned, we'll be doing our darkening service where we are looking at the death of Jesus on the cross. And then we'll come back together on that Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, with the Sunday of Hope. So we're going to kick it off today with Palm Sunday. And the question is, well, what is Palm Sunday? And uh, Palm Sunday is not a idea that comes out of the Bible. It is. It was never known as Palm Sunday. It's known as Palm Sunday today because Christians have attached the idea of palm branches to that day. Because people waved palm branches. But it's not really in the Jewish calendar, Palm Sunday. It's just what we know it as today. It is one of the most uh, recognized and centralized and celebrated biblical events in the Bible. In fact, of the, of the major events in the Bible, really it is the third most understood. We have Christmas and Easter, and then next right behind that is the idea and the understanding of Palm Sunday. It's a very common idea. It's one of the most well-recognized. And to understand it, we are going to need to understand Jesus' triumphal entry as a king into Jerusalem. We're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. So if you have a Bible, you can certainly follow along on the Bible. It's going to be uh, on the screen here today. And uh, we're going to read it out of the New King, Jean, New King James Version uh, here this morning. So let's read it together. It says this When he had said this, that is Jesus, when Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when Jesus drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent his two, to, uh, two of his disciples saying, guys, I want you to go into a village opposite you where, uh, where as you enter, you're gonna find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him because the Lord has need of it. So the disciples obeyed. And they went uh, on their way, and they found just as Jesus had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said exactly what Jesus said he was going to say. Why are you loosing the colt? Why are you untying it? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then... As he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John, it's added in there these words that they all cried out and said, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna, Hosanna. In the highest. So they were all shouting out this in the name of the Lord, recognizing God. And some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I'm going to tell you the truth, guys. If these disciples should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, they will surround you, and they will close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time. Of your visitation. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We want your name to be lifted up and praised. This is not about us, it's not about any one person, it is about you. It is about your name, it is about your glory. Lord, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about our will. It's not about our plans and our desires. It is solely about you. Father, as we recount this story, help us to see that you are the God who is sovereign, the God who's in control the God who is working all things out according to his will and his plan, that you have preordained and preorchestrated the entire event surrounding Jesus, that he would enter in on this specific day at that specific time for that specific purpose. I pray, Lord, today as we understand Palm Sunday that you would touch our hearts and speak to our minds. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth, Lord and help us to draw near to you with faith. I pray specifically today for those here or watching who do not know you, who aren't really too certain about this God thing, who have never made a decision to trust in you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. I pray that this would be the day where they say yes to the Lamb of God. Be with us now. Teach us, show us your truth. And help us to walk with you every step of the way for the rest of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we read this account, this Palm Sunday account, the story of what Palm Sunday was. We call it Palm Sunday again because people had branches and they were waving palm branches. But in the Jewish calendar, it was never known as Palm Sunday. As I mentioned before, this is one of the most recognized in the Jewish calendar. Next to Christmas and Easter, this is the third most recognized event that happened. Jesus lived about 33 years. Most scholars agree that 33 years was the length of his life. What that would equate to is 12,053 days on earth of all of those years worth of days we have four books in the bible four books that we call the gospels that are dedicated to explaining what jesus did during that time we know them matthew mark luke and john now these three or these four gospels explain three years of the ministry of Jesus from the time his ministry began until he ascended into heaven. That's what those four gospels really are about. If you look at the gospels as a whole... You will find that over the days that Jesus lived on the earth, 12,053 days, that the Gospels only describe 52 different days. That means that 12,000 days of Jesus' life are not recorded. We only have 52 days, 52 days worth of events. God wanted us to know something about who Jesus was by giving us those 52 days. Now, today, we are celebrating one of those 52 days that have been given. This is pretty amazing that God would give us this specific day for this specific purpose. Now, I'm going to give you a challenge during this Holy Week, during this Passion Week, and the challenge is this. I want you to take all four of those Gospels, and I want you to read about the final week of Jesus's life. If you do... Here are the verses or here are the chapters that you need to read. Mark or Matthew chapter 21 through 27, Mark 11 through 15, Luke chapters 19 through 23, John chapters 12 through 19. If you start today and you finish them by next Saturday, you only need to read about three and a half chapters a day to finish that out. If you do that, you're going to get a wonderful feel for what Jesus accomplished during the final week between this day and the cross. And that's what I want you to read about. Between this day and the cross, what happened in the life of Jesus. So write those down, take a picture, do that. I challenge you to do that here this week because today kicks off this significantly important week in the life of Jesus. Now, of the four Gospels that are written, between the time Jesus started his ministry and the cross, there are only, in those four Gospels, there are only three events that are the same, that are, that are all three disclosed or talked about in all four of the Gospels. So all of the Gospels have little different insights as to the things that Jesus did, but all four of the Gospels share three events in common. Those three events tell us something about the heart of God and the character of God as he approaches you and I in this world and all mankind in this world. Here are the three events that are common in all four of these gospels between Jesus' start and the cross. Here are the four events. Number one, Christ came for the lost. That is what is talked about at the start of his ministry. In Matthew 4, Mark 1, Luke 4, John 4, all of the four Gospels start something about Jesus coming for the lost. Number two, Jesus Christ came with compassion. If you look at Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6, you're going to find the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in all four of the Gospels. So he came with compassion. The third event that is common amongst all four of the Gospels is this, that he offers hope. And that is that all four of the Gospels record the events of Palm Sunday, of the day that we are celebrating today. If you look at Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, John 12. Now, why, are, why do I mention all of these? <clears throat> because you see the heart of God toward humanity In these three common events. Number one, he came for the lost. That's you and I. He came for us when we were lost in our sin, when we had no hope, when we had no relationship with God. Jesus came for you. He came for me, he came for the lost. He also came not with judgment, not with condemnation, not with a list of rules and regulations. He came with compassion. So he saw you in the state that you were in, and he did not just throw shame on you, throw condemnation, how worthless of a person you are. He came to you with compassion because he cares about you, and he loves you, and he values you. And then he came to offer you hope. This is the gospel message. He came for me. He offers to me compassion, and then he gives me hope. And that's what the Bible is all about. It's all about the lost. It's all about compassion, and it's all about the hope that he gives to you and I. Palm Sunday is really about the message of hope. And that's what we're going to learn today. Palm Sunday brings hope. So in our quick time together, I'm going to try to keep it quick. I'm going to try to condense it just a little bit because we're going to have communion at the end of this. And communion is a special way to kick off the week of Palm Sunday. But what I want to show you today from the story of the 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 entry of jesus into jerusalem i want to show you four details about hope that are really significant and important and i think really can communicate a lot to our hearts today hope is something that is necessary in life people that are hopeless it drives them to despair Maybe you've been there at a certain time in your life that you have felt absolutely hopeless and you have felt despair. You have felt anxiety. You felt worry. You felt depression. You felt like, why is life worth living? And it's because you got to the place of hopelessness. God wants us to have hope. In fact, hope in the Bible is described this way. It's described as waiting on the Lord in times of trouble who will turn things around. It's described as uh, for those who wait upon the Lord, who have hope in him, they will not be disappointed. The book of Isaiah moves from hope being just expecting into a longing and a desiring. Hope means the confident expectation and anticipation that God is going to do something, that God is going to come through. That there's something more that I can look toward. If you don't have hope, then life becomes absolutely meaningless. You come from the dirt, you go back to the dirt, you live a small short life between and there's nothing beyond that. And that is the meaning of life according to the atheists today. Hope says this, that there is more. There is something to look forward to. There is a confident expectation. Jesus demonstrated it. Jesus spoke about it. God showed it through his word, and the hope is what we have to hang on to. So Palm Sunday is about hope. Let's start into this. And let's look at the story together. And I'm just going to recap the story for us. We see Jesus. He is there in, in, uh, he would have been in the home of Matthew, Matthew, of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He was there in their home and he was celebrating the Sabbath with them from Friday evening to uh, Saturday evening. He loved the home of, Martha of Mary of Lazarus. In fact, one week before this, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. An incredible event that happened. As Jesus is there celebrating the Sabbath with these three in this home that he loves, Mary took the costly perfume and anointed Jesus, getting him ready for what was coming, and that was his death and burial that would happen just a few short days later. Sunday morning happened. The Sabbath is over. Sunday morning occurred, and all of these crowds of people came to the house where Jesus was because they wanted to see him, and they wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. As they're there, Jesus tells his disciples, go get a a, a colt, go get a donkey, one that nobody's ever been on. I'm going to sit on this. We're going to ride into Jerusalem. Something significant is happening this day. What is significant that is happening on this day? Well, it is that hope... Is arrived. Hope is there because he is the promised Lamb of God. If you've been around here a while, you've heard me talk on a Palm Sunday about the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so please bear with me as I share this again. This is important about this day. In the Jewish culture, it was never known as Palm Sunday, as I had mentioned before. This is a Christian idea that we have added to this years and years later. But on that day, it was not Palm Sunday. It was what was known as Lamb Selection Day. What was Lamb Selection Day, you may ask? Well, that is the day that all of Jerusalem was getting itself ready for the Passover event that was going to start on Wednesday night at sundown. Wednesday night at sundown through Thursday at sundown would be what was known as the Passover. They were getting themselves ready for this event. They were preparing the way for what was going to happen. In that culture, it was understood that if you had sin in your life, that you needed something to be sacrificed for you. Otherwise, you would pay the punishment. You would pay the price. In the culture, God had established a system called the sacrificial system in which a lamb was chosen and that lamb was going to be sacrificed for the sins of you and your family. It happened on this particular day. In fact, on this particular day, 1,500 years earlier, Moses had given a command to the people to pick a lamb, choose for yourselves a lamb, select your lamb. That lamb was chosen and stayed in the house, stayed with the family until the Passover day event occurred. In Jerusalem, on the day Jesus rode in, it would have been bustling with people. There would have been in the estimates of several million people that had descended upon Jerusalem in order to celebrate, and it started this day. They would have all either brought or bought a Passover lamb according to God's command. They bought it on that Sunday or brought it on that Sunday, and that lamb would stay them until it was sacrificed a few days later. So this is the day. It's estimated that 250,000 lambs would be bought and taken on this day, and they would then be sacrificed on the Passover day. Here's the command that God had given to, to Moses to give to the people. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. God was preparing them to be set free from the sin and the bondage that they were in. It says this, now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt. The Israelites were still in bondage. They were still in slavery, but God was going to set them free. He said to them this, this month shall be your beginning of months. The first month, The month that we are in today in the Jewish calendar is the first month of the Jewish calendar, and it's called the month of Nisan. On the 10th day of this month, here's what he says. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying on the 10th of the day of Nisan, the first of the month, the month that Passover is going to be in on the 14th, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. Let's have, a, let's have a community meal here. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. It needs to be perfect. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, you're gonna keep it. Until the Passover day, the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood, and they shall put the blood on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So here's what we have Jesus was following God's divine schedule. It is not an accident that Jesus came into Jerusalem on this day. This was a public declaration that God was making as Jesus wrote in that God was saying, you've all picked your lambs, now look at the lamb that I have chosen. You have a lamb that you need to select, here is my selection. Still to this day, you're you're called to choose your lamb. Your lamb could be some other way, some other means, some false religion. Your lamb could be your own self-works. There's only one lamb that can save, and it is the lamb who is the son of God, the lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sins. So we have hope, not based upon our own efforts, not based upon any other way. We have hope because Jesus entered into Jerusalem as the chosen lamb of God? Have you chosen Him as your Lamb? As many of you sit here today, I know that there are some who have never made that decision. You've never said to God, I choose Jesus as my Lamb. He will be my Lamb and I will put my trust in Him. And if you've never made that decision, there's not some magic formula, there's not some step process you need to follow. You can do it right now where you sit in the quietness of your own heart. You can say to God, I am sorry, God. I choose Jesus as my sacrificial lamb. Something has to pay the price. I know something has to pay the price. Blood has to be shed because of sin in the world, but I choose to put my trust in Jesus who was given for me. His life was slain so that I wouldn't have to be. He is the Lamb of God, and that's why today we can have hope. So Palm Sunday speaks of hope because he's the promised Lamb of God. Number two, Jesus gave this weird command, and the command was to his disciples, go, and you're going to find in the next village, you're going to find a colt. It's a donkey that is tied up. It's never been ridden. I want you to go up to it, untie it. Now, the owner's going to come out to you and say, what are you doing But you just tell him, the Lord needs it. And the owner's going to say, okay, that's fine. Get it, bring it back to me. How bizarre that would be. But what it demonstrates is this, is that we can have hope because God is in control. Do you realize that he is ultimately the one that is in control of life? That he is the one that is in control of the world? I know some of you, and I'm not going to make eye contact with some of you, but I know some of you that will watch the elections that happen, and your mood is shaped by the elections. You're either ecstatic or you're ultimately depressed as you watch the elections. I don't care who's elected. I do care. Okay, I shouldn't say it that way. I do care, but I don't, because a president, a congress, a senate is not in control of the world. Kings are not in control of the world. God is in control. He will work all things out according to his plan and his will and his purposes. I watch the news and I get frustrated when I watch the news, to say the least. I hear, I I almost, I have some podcasts that I listen to, but there's just times that I can listen to like five minutes and I just gotta shut it off. It's just, I'm too, too upset. It's too depressing. And you may feel the same way. The things that we are seeing in the world and the way the world is collapsing, I want you to know something. It's all working out according to God's plan. He is in control. He is marching the world toward the end times events that he has described in the books of Ezekiel, Daniel. He's described things in Isaiah, Jeremiah. He's described it in Micah. He's described it in the books of Matthew, in Luke. He described it in several of the writings of Paul and in the book of Revelation. God is marching it to the end because he is in control. Palm Sunday demonstrates the control of God. Do you know that 500 years before Jesus came into Jerusalem, that there was a prophecy that God had given about the coming Messiah? Here's what the prophecy said. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's a reference to Jerusalem. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the the full of a donkey. He prophesied this 500 years before Jesus came on the scene. And now, Jesus says, go get that donkey. And then he gets on it, and he rides it on this specific day, on the lamb selection day. If you look at the book of Daniel, and you can go back and listen to a sermon I did either maybe a couple years ago. I looked at the timeline of what happened according to the book of Daniel and how Jesus fulfilled it to the exact day, what Daniel had said. What does all of that say? It says God is in control. I I get two things out of that. First, Jesus has needs. That's an amazing concept to me. Jesus could have, because he's creator, he could have just made a donkey. All of a sudden, Something could have just walked up, but he didn't do that. He sent his disciples to go get the donkey for him. Do you you know what that says? That God needs workers too. That the son of God could have done it, but he didn't. He chose to use people as flawed as they were, as flawed as we are. He still uses us for his purposes. You matter and you have a purpose. Your purpose is beyond your job. I don't know, I can't remember who I was talking to about this. We were talking about jobs, but we were talking about the fact that just because you don't work in a church does not mean that you're not any less a minister than than everybody else. You're a minister. Did you know that? You may not have the title because nobody's given you that title of pastor or minister or reverend but you are. Everywhere you go, every job you go into, God uses you for a specific purpose to make a change in people's lives, wherever you go. So one amazing thing is the fact that the Son of God uses the disciples to do the work that he has called them to do. He uses you and I too, Another thing that we need to, to realize is in this story of this donkey, he goes to the guy who owns the donkey, and they start to untie it, and he says, what are you doing? You're taking my property. What are you doing? It's like somebody coming up to you and just like getting in your car and starting it up, starting to write, what is going on? And they just say, the Lord needs it. Now, there's no rest of the story. I would always like to hear the rest of the story. I look forward to hearing that. Did the guy throw a fit? Did the guy get upset? Or did the guy just say, yes, it's yours? You know what's amazing about that? Is that it is appropriate to surrender the title of everything you own to God's lordship and to his authority. Nothing belongs to me. I'm a steward of what God has given me. So naturally, God, is all yours. How you choose to use it, what you choose to do with it, just help me to stay out of the way and trust you every step of the way. So amazing. God is in control. Do you know, as he is in control, though, that um, he gave the disciples the exact situation, he gave them the exact response, he told them the exact results that would happen, Everything happens exactly as Jesus foretold. What that says to me is this, that there is nothing hidden from the Lord's eyes. Do you know that there are no secrets with him? You could be alone or in a crowd. You, it could be day or night. It could be closed doors or open doors or outdoors. Nothing matters. Jesus sees all of our ways. He sees everything. You are never out of his sight. You cannot escape his sight. You can't retreat into the mountains and escape his sight. You can't hide yourself in a cave and escape his sight. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's in control of it all. And so just think for yourself, just a little bit of conviction time. Never do anything that you don't want Jesus to see. Does that make sense? Do not do anything that you don't want him to hear. Don't act in any way that you don't want him to act. Always be thinking, always be talking, always be walking, being conscious of the presence of Jesus right there in your life. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty convicting. Uh, Would he be happy? Would he be proud of the way that I'm acting, the way that I'm talking, the way that I'm living out my life? Number three, Palm Sunday speaks of hope, Because he's the lamb, it speaks of hope because he's in control. Number three, it speaks of hope because he offers salvation. He offers salvation. Now, in the Gospels, except in the Gospel of Luke, it throws that little phrase in there, and I I shared that when I was reading it, but it throws the little phrase in there that was, Hosanna. Now, how, how many really know what Hosanna means? Mo- most people don't. They hear the word Hosanna. You know it has something to do with Palm Sunday. You know it's about waving palm branches. But most people don't really understand the context of what was going on. Let me explain it to you. The word Hosanna comes out of Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. It was, a, again, another predictor of the coming Messiah. Psalm 118, it says this, "'Save now, I pray, O Lord,' O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now, the word save, save now, is the word hosanna. In fact, it's not really hosanna. In the Hebrew, it is two words. It's hoshia na. First word hoshia, second word na. Hoshia literally means save me, save us, rescue me, rescue us. The word nah just means a sense of urgency. It's like, save me now, rescue me now. There's urgency behind it. Have you ever been in a situation where you've needed God's rescue immediately? I've talked to people before that have gotten like close calls in a car, like a car wreck, and they're like, They're they're skidding out of control, and all they can do is cry out, Jesus, help. Lord, help me. Rescue me. Save me. That's what's being communicated. It is urgency. Save me. Rescue me. If you've had that happen, you have essentially cried out, Hosanna, at that moment, because that's what it means. You cry out, uh, save me, because you know you need salvation. Now, I, I've shared this many times before. I don't even know how many times I've shared this story, but I, I want to just share it again for those of you that have never heard it. And if you have heard it, just bear with me, um, just going off on tangents again. Uh, I was 12 years old, went to Costa Rica with my dad. I was in Costa Rica, and we were at a beach, and the beach was a lot of fun. The waves were crashing, we were playing in the water, beautiful sandy beach, and uh, the, the beach was on a slope, so the, the beach sloped up, to, for a, it was about a 15 foot high slope, uh, at the top of that slope there was a picnic table and we were sitting there having lunch and then we'd walk down the slope into the water and we would just be just having fun in the ocean. And we were just there in the ocean. My dad was there. I was a little bit further in the water. He was a little bit closer to the edge of the water. And uh, he looked out, and then I looked out, and we saw this this huge wave that was coming toward us. I mean, it had always been small waves, knee-high waves. This was a monster wave that was coming toward us. My dad instantly turned and started running up the hill toward the picnic table, I turned, and I wanted to run, but I couldn't move. My feet were absolutely stuck, and it was because the undertow was so strong that I could not pick my feet up. I cried out to my dad, Dad, help! He turned around. He saw me, ran back down, reached out his arm. I reached out my arm. He pulled me as hard as he could. We both ran up the hill to the picnic table, stood on the picnic table. The wave crashed, and the crashing of the wave was just underneath the height of that picnic table. Now remember, that was 15 feet high off of where we were at. It was a monster wave, just monster. If I hadn't been saved... I would, have, I would have been pulled out. I would have died. There's no question about it. Your lives would be empty today because I would be gone. You would have a hole. You wouldn't know why. My wife, who I was only 12 at the time, but she would have never married. She would have never had kids. My daughters would not have been here today had that happened. Well, they wouldn't have because I'm, you know, the genetics there too. So they would be completely different. They, Yeah, anyway. So I needed salvation. And it was urgent, desperate. And that's what Hoshiana communicates, a desperate, urgent plea for salvation. Save us. Now, the idea behind when Jesus comes in and they're shouting Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, most scholars believe that was an antiphonal uh, statement. Now, what does that mean? It means you have crowds that are chanting in unison. If you've ever been to a football game, you would have heard antiphonal shouting or chanting. One side is saying one thing, the other side responds in another way, and that's going back and forth. That's what an antiphonal shout would be, that most believe that that's what was going on. When I went to Promise Keepers years and years ago, uh, we they would do that in the Promise Keepers arena. Half of the group, half of the arena, you know, maybe it's 15,000 guys are chanting in unison, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And then the other side would respond with the same statement, trying to outdo each other. And it would be building up and building up. Well, that's what's going on here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So one group would say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it would just build and build. But what they were looking for was a king and a savior that would free them from the oppression of Rome, from the trouble. They weren't interested in having their religious system fixed and their sins forgiven. They were interested in getting out of the mess that they were in. Which just really says to me how, how much like today's people that is. Most people are not interested in Jesus, the, sa- the saving grace that he offers. Most are interested in just fixing the mess. Get me out of this mess. Give me money. Help me be successful. Give me health. Heal me from my problems. Never. Jesus, I'm going to come to you in brokenness and surrender and follow you with all of my heart. He offers salvation. But may not be the salvation that we're looking for. I hope it is. I hope that is what you're looking for finally. Let's go on to number 4. Hope because he is the promised lamb of God, hope because he is in control, hope because he offers salvation. That's all part of that story. Then there's a fourth component of the story and the component is this: hope rejected breaks God's heart. He's offered hope, he's the promised lamb, he's in control, He offers salvation. It's all out in the open to us. When we reject it, it breaks his heart. Do you know that God is not desiring to send anyone to hell? He does not want anyone to perish, anyone to miss out. He wants all to come to him, all to trust in Jesus, all to call upon his name because there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's what he longs for. But people... The majority of people just reject it. Why is the path to destruction. Narrow is the path. Narrow is the gate to those who are going to find that salvation. That breaks God's heart. It breaks God's heart that we just turn a cold shoulder to him and say no. In Luke 19, I already read this. I want to read it again just for you to hear this again. It says this, after he had gone through, after they had been shouting, after he'd ridden in, now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. God's heart breaks over cities that are headed for hell. But it's not just cities. I believe God's heart breaks for people that are headed for hell. I think God's heart breaks at funerals for people who never knew the Lord and went to hell. God's heart rejoices over those who turn to him and trust him for salvation. The Savior began to weep. Jesus wept. Now, now earlier, if you go back and read in the Gospels, you'll read of Jesus healing Lazarus, and it says there, Jesus wept. That kind of weeping was different. That was a silent, somber weeping that Jesus did for his friend Lazarus. The wept that he is talking about here today was a deep wailing, a deep pain, and it was a grave warning. I want you to notice this warning. This warning was for them and it's for us. Look at it. Jesus said this after he wept as he was weeping If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the day Jesus came in, the things that make for your peace, but now it's too late. Now it's hidden from your eyes. There there will be a day that hope is closed, that there's no more opportunity. In that day, Jesus said, days will come upon you When your enemies will build an an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. What is he talking about? It's a literal and a metaphorical spiritual in one. What is the literal? 70 AD, the Romans are going to come into Israel. They're going to start in the north. In 67 AD, they're going to work their way down toward the south. They are going to get to Jerusalem, and they are going to battle with the Israelites who are going to put up a fierce battle. In fact, the Romans can't even take it. So the Romans do what a good military strategy does. They say, you know what? We're going to surround this city, and we're going to wait them out. We're going to cut off their supply lines, and we're going to cut off every uh, visitor, every food, every, everything, and they are going to starve to death. And we have nothing but time. And that's exactly what the Romans did. Forty years after Jesus said this, they surrounded the city. Israel put up a fight until they were surrounded, walled within the city, and then people started starving to death. It is said in history books that they would take the bodies of people who had died and just throw them over the wall, so much so that the surrounding of the wall was littered with decay and death and destruction. So much so that the Romans would actually report on how awful and horrific it was. And the Romans would say they did this to themselves. They could have surrendered, but they did it to themselves. Once they were finally weak enough, The Romans came in and absolutely leveled and devastated the city. Jesus said, because you did not receive the salvation, you did not recognize the time of this visitation, this is what's going to happen. That's the literal. What's the metaphorical spiritual side of it? For every one of us, if we do not recognize the time of our visitation, the time that Jesus shows up, the time that the Lamb of God says, I have hope for you, I have salvation for you. I have compassion for you. If you do not recognize that, there will come a day where hope is done. There will be no more opportunities. And what the end result will be, will be destruction of your souls. Because as Jesus said, you did not know the time of your visitation. See, I really believe that everyone has multiple opportunities, that people have shared the gospel, you've heard the gospel, it's preached to you, it's it's friends have told you about it, you've read it, you've seen it on podcasts and YouTube videos, that it is out there. Jesus' word is more published, the, the Bible is more published than any other book in history. It is out there. There are visitation appointments that God has made that either people receive it or they reject it and if you receive it you have experienced what that salvation is and if you have rejected it you did not notice you did not see you did not receive the time of your visitation and there is consequences to that but i want you to know that all of that tears at the heart of god it causes god to weep because god does not want anyone to perish but all to put their faith in him, to trust in him as there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So that is what Palm Sunday is about. It's hope. Hope because he's the lamb of God. Hope because he is in control. Hope because he has come to save and to rescue. And if you won't receive that kind of hope, it breaks the heart of God. But you and I will have the consequences of our choices if we do not do so. Today, We have a wonderful opportunity to share in a time of communion. I think this is a great way to kick off this week. Communion is a wonderful reminder that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And as I take communion, I am putting my faith and my trust in him. Communion will not save you. There is nothing magical about it. Communion is a symbolic event by which we say, God, I am yours and you are mine. And I have trusted in you as my Lamb of God. For the forgiveness of my sins. Would you pray with me and then we're going to take communion together? Father, I pray that we would understand, that we would receive, and that we would know why this day is so significant. This is the declaration that you are the Lamb of God who was chosen before the foundation of the world to pay the price for the penalty of sin. People trust in all kinds of things. But we need to trust in you. Salvation only comes through you. There is only one way, there's only one plan, and there is only one man who can save, and that is Jesus himself, the God-man, God incarnate who has come for us. This Palm Sunday, Lord, help us to remember that you entered in as God had his spotlight on you, saying, behold, this is my lamb who is given for the sacrifice of the sin of the world. I pray for those today who have never received you, that this would be the day where they say to you, Jesus, come into my life. Be my lamb of God. Forgive me for my sins and help me to trust in you. Father, as we enter this time of communion, bless this, help us. Lord, help us to draw near to you and as we celebrate this, this uh, week of, uh, that we call the Holy Week or the Passion Week, help us to not lose sight and focus of all that you accomplished on our behalf. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
0: Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. God bless you guys and have a great day.